Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. So we begin this new year. New year becomes a helpful time. January becomes a helpful time for us as people to to rethink some things, to make sure that we're doing what we want to do with our life, right? To make sure that we're making good decisions. Perhaps you, like I, had a few wake-up calls over the Christmas break when you got out of the shower and decided you'd just step on the scale for fun. Don't ever do that. It's not fun. Well, you just step on the scale for fun, and then you realize the scale must be broken, right? And then when you go to a Walgreens or so, and you see one of those blood pressure machines, and you think, well, I'll just take my blood pressure for fun, too. Only to realize your blood pressure's high. Maybe you've had some of those things, and you thought, in this new year, in this new year, I've got to make better decisions. And what a better time to do that than the month of January. Now, yes... Often when we make a New Year's resolution in January to eat better, February comes along and we all eat crawfish and king cake and ruin it all. But it's always good to have a refocusing, right? A refocusing of our priorities. I think it's helpful for the church to do that as well. So we come to a new year, uh, this year of our Lord, 2020, what will we do as a church? In fact, it's helpful to ask the question, what is the purpose of our church in the first place? Have you ever thought about that? what the purpose of the church is. Our individual congregation right here in Decatur, Mississippi, what what is our church? What is the purpose? What do we meet? Well, you could say that the purpose of our church is to come and to hear a sermon. Okay, but is that the true purpose? That's what we do. Maybe you could say, well, our purpose of a church is to come together and sing. And yes, we certainly do come together and sing. But is that the purpose of the church? We could even kind of zero down a little bit further and ask the question, what is the purpose of us as individuals? This has been a distinctly Christian question all the way back throughout Christian history. What is our purpose? And I think no greater answer to this has been given than the Westminster Shorter Catechism from the Presbyterian Church. The first question in their catechism was, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Those two things. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I think we can can take that and we can broaden it a little bit and ask the question, what is the purpose of our church? I think we as a church, the chief end, the purpose of our church must be that we glorify God and enjoy him forever and ever and ever and ever. That sounds good. Everybody on board with that? Anybody have, a, have, a, have an objection to that? Okay, good. Look at that. We're a Baptist church and we got a motion passed without even any argument on it. That's a good thing, right? But, that, but here's the question. What does it mean to glorify God? What do we have to do to glorify Him? Well, that's where we want to narrow down. Certainly, we can say that our purpose in coming to church is to glorify and to enjoy God. That's what we are doing here. But what activities are we doing that help us to glorify God and to enjoy Him. What activities are we doing? So in the next couple weeks, we've got three different sermons for us on this topic. How do we glorify God and enjoy Him as a church? 
This week, we will be talking about the first thing that we can do, our purpose as a church. And I think that first purpose is to strengthen the saints. To strengthen the saints of God. That's one purpose that we have as a, as a church. We are to strengthen one another. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we will have our Youth Sunday. And then the next week, we're going to talk about the second uh, goal of our church. The first one is to strengthen the, strengthen the saints. The second one is that we want to share the gospel. We want to share it with our kids, and we want to share it with our grandkids, and we want to share it with our neighbors and our co-workers, and we want to share it with, with anyone we can because that is the commission of the church, the Great Commission, to share the gospel. And then the next week, I'll be out for school, so I'll be heading off to Kansas City. And so that week, we will have a guest speaker. Uh, you may know him, Brother Brian Rushing from First Baptist, formerly from First Baptist Newton, will be here filling in for me. And then the next week after that, we will finish our third purpose for the church. So the first one is to strengthen the saints. The second one is to share the gospel. And last but not least, to serve the community. So we'll be looking at those three, those three goals of a church. All three of those goals, by doing those things, we as a church glorify God and enjoy him. So let's begin with the first one, to strengthen the saints. You know, why do we even talk about goals in the first place? Why do we talk about uh, recalibrating and refocusing in the first place? Well, many of you remember the day when if you wanted to go on a trip, you couldn't just put it in your phone to find the place. Now, I barely remember that. In fact, I remember my first major purchase that I made as an adult. I got my first paycheck, and I decided I was going to buy some hot new technology. And I went out, and I bought a GPS that I could put funny voices on, and that funny voices could take me anywhere I wanted to. All I had to do was add in the, add in the address. And you know what happened next? The next phone they came out with had that same GPS on there. That same phone that I got the free upgrade for, and my GPS that I bought became obsolete. I didn't need it anymore. I had it on my phone. But do you remember those days before you could put it in on your phone? Maybe you had a big map in the glove compartment that you pulled out, and it was kind of a road hazard, but you pulled it out, you found where you were going, and then you had to follow the map. But if you didn't know where you were going, one little mistake, one little misturn could get you off track. Not only that, but if you didn't have your location right to begin with, then it doesn't matter what road you take now. If you don't have the end goal in sight, then you're not going to get there. I think about the time where uh, it was a few years ago, uh, Jordan and I needed to pick up a prescription, and we happened to be in Laurel for the weekend, and so Jordan thought, well, I'll just put it in on Laurel at the Walgreens, and we'll go pick it up. And sure enough, she put it on, on Laurel, and we went down to the Walgreens, and she said, I'm here to pick up a prescription. And they said, we don't have your prescription. And she said, well, I got the confirmation right here. So she pulled it up. They put in the confirmation. They said, you put this in for Laurel, Connecticut. We weren't going to get that prescription, were we? Why? Because the end goal was wrong. And I'm not picking on my wife. I've done several things like that. I just can't think of them right now. Funny how that works, right? Um, but the end goal must be out there. And so the end goal of our church, one of those end goals this morning will be that when we gather together, our job is to strengthen the saints. If you look with me in Ephesians 4, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. In the first part of Ephesians, Paul has emphasized the, the great grace of God that has come down to man. That he has taken us, former rebels of the cross, he has saved us, he has washed us with the water of his word, and now he presents us to himself and gives us all the blessings of the heavenly places. And then in Ephesians 4, he tells us what to do about that. We'll be reading in Ephesians 4, verse 1, and this is what we read. I, therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We know that the word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we consider this text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning as we consider your word that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand it, that you would fuel us to seek to glorify you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Strengthen the saints. What does that mean? To strengthen one another. When we use that word saints, we're not talking about those super holy people. We're talking about Saints, the name that Paul uses to describe Christians, members of the Christian church in his epistles. You and I, though flawed as we are, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, he makes us saints. That very word uh, is an adjective. It means the holy ones. You and I are holy ones, the saints, who are resting in the finished work of Jesus. And now we gather together And one of the things that we do when we gather together is we seek to strengthen one another. To strengthen one another. In other words, what's the purpose of a church? Can't you do the Christian life on your own? No, you can't. Because here in Ephesians, we are told that we are to come together, right? In Ephesians 4, it says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, and patience, and then bear with one another in love. To bear with one another. That phrase, one another, that is one of the many phrases that Paul uses. One another phrases. Where he tells us to do something to one another. To build up one another. To encourage one another. To bear one another's burdens. And the simple fact of the New Testament is that you, as an individual, can't one another alone. There must be two to one another. In order to bear someone else's burdens, there must be someone else. In order to encourage someone else, there must be someone else. We can build up ourselves. We can encourage ourselves. But if we're to do it to one another, there must be community. And the church is that community. Now notice what Paul says. The first thing in strengthening the saints that he tells us to do is to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 
to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Now, Paul has already spent the first three chapters of Ephesians setting forth, forth the glorious calling of the Christian life. The fact that you and I have no claim to salvation. That you and I have no claim to sonship in Jesus Christ. That you and I have no claim to anything other than wrath and hell. And yet, Jesus, being great in mercy, gave us grace, gave us faith, saved us, called us, brought us into his family. And so because of that, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of that. You have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And so therefore, you must walk worthy of that. Now, what does that mean, to walk worthy of the gospel? Certainly, you and I, none of us in here could say that we have walked worthy of the gospel every day of our lives. Perfectly worthy. Because in order to embrace the gospel, we must confess our unworthiness, right? In order to believe and trust in Jesus, we must understand that we are unworthy sinners. So how do we walk worthy of it? Well, we consciously follow the Lord. We are aware of who he is. We seek to, to remember who we are. I think about when I was a child, and if I was going over to a friend's house, my father would tell me, remember what your name is. Now, he wasn't concerned that when I came to that friend's house, the parents would ask me my name, and I'd say, I, I don't remember. No. What, did he, what was he trying to tell me? He was trying to tell me that my actions were going to reflect on him. My actions were going to reflect on my name. And that if I gained a reputation for being a heathen, that means that my dad would in, involuntarily gain a reputation for raising heathens. And he didn't want that. And so he told me, when you go to someone else's house, you remember how you were raised. You remember your name. You walk worthy of that. You don't dishonor that by burping at the table or anything else. You make sure that you know who you are and you follow that. Paul is telling us something similar here. Remember that you have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And so everything that you do from sundown to sunup is going to reflect on that person of Jesus. In fact, not only have we been bought by the person of Jesus, but you and I, as human beings, we reflect the image of God in our very makeup. We are made in the image of God. And so we, as image bearers, we represent God to the world. And what Paul is saying here is be sure that when you represent God to the world, you aren't lying that you are telling the truth about God in your actions. And so he tells us a few things that we ought to do. He said, do it with all humility. Make sure that you are humble, understanding that pride has no place in the Christian life. Because none of us pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and came to salvation. No, we were all met by the grace of Jesus. And grace had to come down to us. So he tells us, do it with all humility, do it with all gentleness. Make sure that we are gentle with one another, not quick to wrath. Do it with patience and then bear with one another. We talked about this, this passage a few Wednesday nights ago, and I pointed out that this idea to bear with one another, it literally means to put up with. Put up with one another. Deal with one another. Love one another. Do it in love. In other words, defend one another. Be gracious with one another as we are gracious with our kids or other family members. What do you think about that? If my, if my children, they've never done this, but if they ever were to make a ruckus in church, if they were ever to do that, you know what I'm going to think? I'm going to think, well, you know what? They're just, little, they're just kids. They'll learn. They'll learn. They'll get better. But if your kids do it, you know what I'm going to think? 
I may think, look, how are they raising their kids? Isn't that so typical of us? I'm not saying I think that of y'all. I'm just saying it's typical to think that. We're going to defend our own. But if it's not ours, then we can attack someone else. And what Paul is saying here is bear with one another. Defend one another, knowing that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's not the only thing he tells us to do. One of the things that we do is when we strengthen one another, as we come together, we, we are patient with one another. Why do we do this? He tells us because we all belong to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And grace was given to each one of us according to the mystery of Christ's gift. So we strengthen one another by walking in a manner worthy of our calling, bearing with one another in love. But he also tells us that we do this by doing the work of the ministry. One way that we build one another up, one way that we strengthen one another, is recognizing that we have a job to do. We're not coming here on break from our job. Now, when we come in here, we clock in to our job. And so we read in here, he tells us in, in verse, uh, verse 11, he says that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Now notice what he's saying there. He mentions these offices. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. All of these offices, not getting into too specifics of what they mean, they are all leaders in the church. Prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, shepherds. These are all leaders in the church. And what Paul is saying here is that God has given these leaders in the church for a purpose. They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, what Paul is saying here is Paul is giving my job description. What is my job? My job isn't just to do the work of the ministry. No, my job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so he says here, this is part of what we do. We come together. We are equipped through preaching, through teaching, through songs, uh, through, uh, through giving. We, we, we come together and we are equipped by the leadership of the church so that we can go out into the world and do the work of the ministry. Now, that's your job. And so if we were having annual performance reviews about how we did our job of the work of the ministry, you as an individual church member, if we had the responsibility, could you be fired? Would you be fired? We're reminded that our job is to do the work of the ministry, and we want to do that well. We were all raised with a good worth ethic that we were told, I'm sure you were told just like I was, that whatever our hands found to do, we must do it well. We would not offer shoddy work in our businesses. And yet Paul is telling us here that you and I are to do the work of the ministry. Do the work of the ministry. Do the work of Christ to those around you. Share the gospel. Love one another. Meet needs. This is what Christ did in his earthly ministry, and this is what his church does to follow. And if we would not offer shoddy work to our employers in our secular vocation, why would we offer shoddy work to Jesus in our spiritual vocation? No, we do the work of the ministry. And we're reminded that we don't do it alone. No, we have a church with us, right? We have our fellow workmen here to do it with us. None of us are asked to go and do something, a, a, a monstrous task by ourselves. No, we're given a church to help us. When we see a need, we have church members who can help us meet it. When we have a problem, we have church members that can minister to us. This is the work of the ministry. This is what Paul encourages us to do. But the last thing he tells us, he tells us why we do the work of the ministry. Why we do it. He says, first, 
He says, building up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does Paul say? Paul says, we do the work of the ministry to the building up of the church. In other words, that all your gifts, all your time, all your talent, all your tithe that you give, that goes to building up the church. Building up the church, not so we can build big buildings, not so we can build big institutions, but that we can proclaim the gospel and we can see people come from darkness to light. That's our goal. And why do we do that? We do that so that you and I may grow into mature manhood. We could grow into maturity. We could grow up and we could become like adults, right? This is what he says. He says, uh, to obtain the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is our ultimate goal, to have the stature of the fullness of Christ. And how do we receive that? We receive that by building up the church together. In other words, I can't reach maturity in the Christian life without you. I've got to have you. I've got to have you on my team. I've got to have you building me up. When you don't come to church, anyone in here, from the youngest to the oldest, there is something missing in the congregation. There is something missing. We miss it when we don't have these sweet babies in here. Rena Jane, I hope you're listening. Lottie Ruth, I hope you're listening. We need these babies here because they are building us up. And we need those who are not babies anymore. I'm not going to name names. We need you here building us up. Because without that, on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night, in Sunday school, in discipleship training, without your wisdom, without your help, without your service, then something is lacking. Sure, Mr. Larry is not here. We can pick on him. Mr. Larry is a great carpenter. But even a great carpenter needs tools. And if he goes to work one day to do something, and all his saws decide to take a vacation, how is he going to get anything done? We need one another to build one another up so that we can reach maturity. Maturity, what does this mean? Completion, that's what it means. Complete manhood. And what does complete manhood mean? It means being in the fullness of Jesus. Being like Jesus in every way. So that Paul tells us that if we are in the fullness of Christ, we won't be like children. Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we would speak the truth in love and we would grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then he tells us something. He tells us this idea that when we grow up, we would not be children that are tossed to and fro. I think about the first time that we took Knox to the beach. And he loved it. Every bit of it. Uh, he, He just... Not only did he love the beach, he loved the ocean. He loved going out there. But he found out that he could only go out so far without mom and daddy. Indeed, he found out he didn't want to go out any further without mom and daddy. Because when those waves came in, it didn't matter how strong he stood up, he got knocked down. And there were some waves that were bigger than others. And there were some waves that took him way under the water. But he noticed something. He noticed that when that wave took him underwater, I didn't go under. And Jordan didn't go under. And so you know what he started doing? Hold me. You hold me, right? Because the waves that will knock down a child will not knock down adults. So Paul calls the church, grow up into maturity. Become adults in your faith. Not just, not just physical age, but spiritual age. 
Because those waves that will knock down children will not knock down adults, adults that have grown together, adults that have, 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 have weaved their lives together in the church, that have strengthened one another, adults that have people holding them up like trellises in a garden. Those adults will not be knocked down by the winds of this world. The trials of this world, the, the tribulations, the false doctrine, the cunning, uh, all these things, the craftiness and deceitful schemes, all these things will not knock us down if we have grown up into maturity. And the last thing that Paul says here, Paul tells us in verse 16, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying that the church is like a body. And that each one of us is like a body part. And every body part must be functioning, must be firing on all cylinders for that body to grow up in love. So Paul emphasizes once more the importance of strengthening your family, building up your family, building up your church. So here's the question we want to ask. The question I want to ask is, this is all well and good, that we would want to strengthen one another, that we would want to do this to the glory of God, and we would want to, and we would want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. We would want to do the work of the ministry. We would want to do it until we arrive to maturity. But the question for us is, what does this mean for us tomorrow? Monday morning, your alarm clock goes off. You have to go and begin your day. What does this passage mean for us? Well, I think there are four things. At least four applications to this, 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 uh, this passage that we can apply to our life. It's the new year after all, and so what would it be without a few resolutions? I believe the first thing that we ought to resolve to do based on this passage is that we ought to resolve to be involved in the work of the ministry. To be involved. This year, my prayer for you is that you would be more involved in church than you ever have been. That if you have been here every time the doors open, that you would find a way to be more involved. That you would find a way, not just with your time. Your time is valuable and probably one of the most valuable things you have and the one that we desire the most. We want you here. But more than that, we want you active. This church is not short of anybody who can sit and watch the game. We have an audience. We can find an audience. What our church is short of is participants. We need people who will play the game, who will be involved, not those who just want to sit in the crowd. We, we need you to be involved. And so this year, you know how involved you've been in church, whether that be your time, whether that be uh, your talent, whether that be your tithe, whatever it may be. Write down how you're going to be more involved. Maybe you say, well, I, I've, I've been coming to church probably about three times a month. Well, this year I'm coming four times. Now, certainly we want you to come every time the doors open, but make that resolve to take that next step. Maybe you can say, well, I've been to church and I've been involved, but I haven't been tithing. I, ha I don't have skin in the game. I haven't been supporting the work of the church. Well, this year right now, I'm going to start with 5%. 5% I'm going to put in. Now, we all know a tithe means 10, but you know what? You've got to start somewhere. If you've been giving 10 and you're comfortable giving 10, then say, you know what? This year I'm going to give 11. I'm going to give 10 and a half. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that we are more invested. We want to make sure that this is the roots that we're growing down. We're putting our roots down here because this is eternal. 
This is more important than anything that happens in Jackson, Mississippi. This is more important than anything that happens in Washington, D.C. This is eternal. And so we want to be invested here. Be resolved to be more involved in this church in 2020. Next, be resolved to build one another up. We would love if you were here. But you can be here and be a grouch. You can be here with the purpose of tearing down. And that is not what we desire. The Bible tells us that when we come together, we're to build one another up. And so make it your resolve, your goal this year, that your job will be to build this church up in any way you can. What are you good at? Are you good at encouraging? Are you good at remembering birthdays? Are you good at remembering when people are having a difficult time? Can you write a letter? Can you do things at the church? Well, then here, be involved. Build one another up. Share a, a, a word of encouragement. Share a passage in the Bible. Build one another up. Keep one another accountable. Are you good at doing Bible reading? Well, make friends with someone who's not. And then pester them this year. Help them. Did I say pester? I mean, help them. Help build them up, right? How do we get that? How, how do we, any of us get better at these things that we know are difficult? We find a mentor who can help lead us. We find someone who can build us up. Third, we want to be resolved to be involved. We want to be resolved to build one another up. We want to be resolved to protect unity. We see here that Paul begins by talking about one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Paul talks about, uh, in gentleness, preserving the unity of the church. Why? Why would it be important that we were all unified? Well, Paul is going to tell us that when all the body parts are working together in unison, then the church grows up in love. But if the church is divided, then we are useless. And Satan knows this. This is why Satan loves to disrupt the unity of a church. And so the question that I want to ask you is how important is the unity of the church? Can we build up the church? Are we protecting that unity? What, what are we sacrificing when we say that word that we know we shouldn't say? What are we sacrificing when we gossip behind someone's back? What are we sacrificing when we let something hurt us that we know shouldn't hurt us? Now, we want to protect the unity. Protect the unity because we know without the unity, this church can do nothing. And so we want to protect what the Lord has given us. It is a gift. And we want to protect it this year. Last but not least, be it resolved that this year you will grow up into maturity. You will grow up into maturity. I think about the things that we have, that we do in our life. Those marks that show us that we are growing up. We don't have many left. We have a few. At 16, we go and get our driver's license. We now have the ability to drive. That shows that we're growing up. At 18, uh, we go off to school somewhere or we begin a job somewhere. And this shows that we are growing up. We have these little things that happen that show that we are growing in maturity. Maybe for a little boy, the first time he gets his first BB gun, the first time he gets his first pocket knife, those, those things that show maturity. Well, in spiritual life, we have those things too. Those things that show that we are growing in maturity. When we realize, that used to make me furious. I used to respond sarcastically or with an angry word here, but the Lord has given me grace. You know what it is for you. You know those areas in your life that you need the Lord's help to work on. So set a goal. Write it down. Say, Lord, this year I want to go out of 2020 better than I came in. 
I want to go out knowing you more, loving you more. I want to go out having read your Bible more, having prayed more. I want to go out loving my church member more, loving my neighbor more. I want to go out of 2020 having told more people about your glorious gospel that has saved me. This is what we do at church. We strengthen one another. But we can't get there if our goal isn't right. So I encourage you, from the words of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, be resolved to grow up into maturity, to serve Him, to love Him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. For this is the way that we honor Him as a church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray this morning that You would bless Your Word, that You would help us, Lord, to grow up into maturity, that You would help us to be involved, to build one another up, to protect unity, that You would help us, Lord, to serve You to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.